Well, good morning. <laughs> uh, this morning, I, I wanted to uh, um, talk about something that is uh, feels very important to me. It's been one of my um, kind of deep karmic habit patterns for most of my life. So um, I feel like this has a lot of juice for me. It has a lot of energy for me and it feels um, extremely important to talk about. And I didn't realize that until I was um, studying some, some um, something for another class and I came across this particular case. So when I saw the case of this ancestors conversation, um, I immediately got drawn to it and um, hooked on one word of this case. So what I'd like to do today is just unpack that a little bit and see if it could be helpful for us around navigating our own conditioning um, in, in, in many ways. So I'll start off with the case. This is a, um, a case in this record of Dongshan. So again, we're talking about Dongshan. Kosen uh, in a couple of weeks ago spoke about a different case uh, that he had, a different case of this record of conversations that he had around whether insentient beings can expound the Dharma. So this is another one. So we're kind of also in a conversation around that. So uh, just to say Dongshan was the 11th ancestor in China and he was one of the most prominent teachers in the Tang dynasty. Uh, he was a Chan, he started actually a Chan school that actually Dogen brought and later became the Soto Zen school. So he's a, he's a very important uh, relative for us, family member for us, elder for us. He's also the author of the teaching poem Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi that we um, chant frequently here. And most of his teachings uh, came to us through the supposed recorded dialogue encounters between him and his teacher and then between him and his students. And this is a very traditional way uh, that we have transmitted Zen and transmitted um, um, transmitted uh, the way that uh, the teachings uh, arise for us. This is uh, through people, through bodies, through embodiment. So this is an embodied uh, teaching. So this exchange took place between Dongsheng and his first teacher, Dongguan, at the end of uh, Dongsheng's training. And he was getting ready to go on pilgrimage and start to teach in his own right. And he later had um, other teachers that he, um, he learned from and then taught, of course, for many years. So this was a particular moment in his training. So he was about to leave and his teacher um, called him over and said to him, please make a thorough study of the Buddha Dharma and broadly benefit the world. So as he's leaving, he's just, you know, encouraging him to take what he's learned and, um, and thoroughly study this Buddha Dharma and broadly benefit the world. So then Dongshan responded, he said to him, 
I have no question about studying the Buddha Dharma, but what is it to broadly benefit the world? To me, this is a very potent question, especially for our community. I think this is at the heart of, of what we are exploring. And so Nanquan said, not to dismiss a single thing. So what I love about this is what we're, here are these very broad aspirational uh, requests. Please thoroughly study this Buddha Dharma, which can encompass a vast amount, can encompass everything. <laughs> and also broadly benefit the world. This is a quite an aspirational, huge request. And so this is really, we're up here. And then um, he asked, you know, very sincerely, how do I do this? I don't, I don't, I know how to study Buddha Dharma. You know, I've, I've been trained to do that, but how does this relate to benefiting the world? And so then he goes and he narrows, narrows, narrows. This is the way I experience it. He narrows it down to a single practice, not to dismiss a single thing. And so then we have something to work with here, something we can kind of grab onto and practice with. And it's the word dismiss to me that kind of um, struck me and stirred me. You know, we, in, in, um, in Mahayana, we really boil down all the glaciers to three, you know, greed, hate, and delusion. And yet within that, there is many variations of those three poisons. And so um, I was exploring for myself, you know, what is this particular poison of dismissal? I mean, it is a form, you could say, I would say it's a form of hatred. It's, it's, a, it's an aversion. And it just has certain kinds of qualities, right? So this dismissal is very, to me, very dangerous, very insidious. It's cool. It's an, an othering that's cool. When I looked up a definition of dismiss, uh, the, it, the uh, definition, two of the definitions that I was really struck by was treat as unworthy of serious consideration. And the other is to remove from consideration or reject as lacking in importance or value. So it's, it's you know, hatred is very, we talked about Liz this year, we were talking about this hot and cold, right? And hatred can be very cold, very engaged. But dismissal is, is, is kind of, um, you kind of quite catch it so much, you know? So it's just this negation of attention and care. And in it, you can feel that there is a judgment, uh, um, uh, a feeling of, uh, it feels like it meets that precept of, of putting oneself above or below, kind of like sets it up. The dismissal is not worthy of uh, this kind of meeting. 
and I was thinking about, you know, my training uh, as a therapist. And we used to talk in, when, we, when I was studying couples counseling, and they would say, you know, it's um, when, when couples fight a lot, that can be actually a, a, a form of intimacy. <laughs> you know, they, they are actually engaging with each other, you know, in this kind of intensity. And that what was actually seen as more problematic, more dangerous, more harmful was just this kind of when, when couples stopped engaging and they withdrew and just dismissed each other outright. You know, there's just this, oh, and that just, it's really, you know, for the person who's doing it, it can be hard to notice, you know, the when we dismiss. But for the being that's receiving it, it's quite impactful. So that's why I wanted to talk about it today, because I, I believe that all of us feel like we can catch and are working very hard when our hearts and bodies and minds um, express hatred. But I don't know if we're really catching the myriad ways that we um, dismiss. Dismiss uh, on all sorts of levels. So the dismissal can be very subtle. Like if you roll your eyes when someone's talking, that's kind of like a subtle dismissal. It used to make me crazy when I was talking to somebody because of my own um, complicated history with feeling dismissed. When somebody would be, when I'd be talking and somebody would look down at their watch, you know? Ah! <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then it can be very um, blatant. You know, this, dismissals like a such an incredible tool of systemic oppression, right? That we can dismiss whole peoples as worthy of our care or consideration. So I I I was I was um, contemplating and at, and I'm suggesting that perhaps we can contemplate and you can contemplate, you know, what do we dismiss as worthy of care in our culture, in our cultures? You know, we're not just part of one culture. What are the things that we include in as worthy of our care? And what are the things that we dismiss? And the dismissing is not just an ignorance. It's really a willful ignorance, I think. You know, uh, this, this isn't something we just kind of uh, walk all over. We don't even think about it. You know, we've talked a lot here and there's been analysis around our, our Western culture that dismisses the earth as a being worthy of care and respect or our bodies or the bodies of others. You know, what do we dismiss in our communities? You know, we, when we adopt an ideology, a value system, even one as noble as Buddhism, there can be this over tendency to dismiss anything that isn't in alignment with that. We do that. What gets left out when we wholeheartedly, you know, engage with this philosophy, this religion, this spiritual practice? 
the other day, uh, there was a whole um, caravan of us that went up to get our first vaccine from the monastery. And Kosin and I were in our own car because we had an earlier um, date, earlier time for the vaccine. So we, um, we wanted to get breakfast before we headed up. It was a two and a half hour drive. So what we did was we stopped in Hudson, New York. And I don't know how many of you have been in Hudson, New York. I hadn't really known that much about Hudson, New York, but we were, we were looking for coffee. So we were walking up and down the strip and immediately we could feel the incredible amount of wealth in that town. There was just one high end antique store and after another. And I could feel in my, I could feel a kind of dismissal, right? That there is a, you know, we can do this. We can dismiss, you know, wherever we are in this cast in this is hierarchy that we design or that's been designed for us. Mm -hmm. You know, I could feel that little bit of dismissal around this town, you know? <laughs> We're not like that in Millerton. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so there I am, right? Just that little bit, you know, uh, putting myself in this particular position and then those above me, you know, being, being uh, worthy of my dismissal uh, of care. Then we get in the car and we start driving. And as we're driving, we move into a rural, rural upstate New York. And as we drive, we just see one dilapidated building after another, one falling apart home after another, one um, kind of uh, neglected, impoverished town. And then sometimes as we're driving and we were talking about this and noting that all of a sudden on some of those buildings in some of those towns, we would see a, um, a Trump sign or in an even more problematic expression, which is, I can't even say something Biden starts with an F, ends with a K, <laughs> you know, like, wow, talk about dismissal. But all of a sudden, the feeling kind of shifted for me of concern and care, uh, or even wanting to uh, uh, turn my attention toward those conditions of that particular um, communities. So there it was, you know, right there. And then we can look at, you know, what do we dismiss within our relationships with each other? And then we've talked about, and I think it's so important to keep talking about what do we dismiss in ourselves? You know, what do we exile and alienate or say is not important, you know? And it could be anything from, you know, I don't have a right to feel a sense of loss or grief because there's these other people that are, are, are lost so much more or um, dismissing joy, dismissing opportunities for connection. So, um, so this is really uh, about starting to move towards um, recognizing this particular tendency. And I think we have to let ourselves feel the harm of it. We have to start um, going towards it. So I would like to do a little tiny, tiny little experiment 
right now. So I, I would request if you feel comfortable or if you wanna go off screen for you to just close your eyes right now and take a moment and think about someone or something you dismissed as worthy of your attention. It could be historic, it could be recent, whatever is alive for you. What have you kind of, you know, brushed your hand aside and turned away from? So see if you can bring up that, that relationship. And as you feel into it, see what it feels like to dismiss. What happens to you? What happens in your body? What's the narrative you have that contributes to this notion that they're not worthy of your care or attention? And can you feel into the impact of it on you and on the relationship? doesn't have to be a huge dismissal. It could be a small one. They all have impact. Thank you. But keep your eyes closed. You can kind of like put that one down, you know, <laughs> like caring for that, putting it down and turning your attention now and taking a moment to shift and bring up an example of when you felt dismissed, when you yourself felt dismissed. Again, it could be small, it could be substantial. Can you even enter into that feeling? What happens in your body? What does your body do in response? Is there an emotion that goes along with that feeling of dismissal? What thoughts or beliefs about yourself and the relationship did it bring up? What was the impact for you on the relationship? So thank you for checking that out, doing it together. And I was kind of popcorning for myself, you know, uh, what are some of the things that we do when we dismiss? What are some of the ways we dismiss? And, and they can be not so obvious sometimes, you know, like um, we disassociate, you know, uh, we, we, we don't take responsibility for, we, maybe there's sarcasm there or a withdrawal or just a shutting down, like we stop paying attention. Yeah. I, it was pointed out to me that, I, that there was a family member that whenever I said something that they didn't like, they literally turned their head while I was talking. You know, so our bodies express this dismissal and we feel it. There could be this inflation, this feeling of superiority that arises 
or pity. And when we're dismissed, that's really where all the fun is, right? There is such an incredible range of things that we can feel. Uh, Rage, distress, shame, compliance, collapse, withdrawal, many, many, many. And um, for me, I just wanted to share this. um, I have I've 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 recently come to recognize and I'm kind of a little in the middle of it. So it's not, you know, I want to be careful about it, but I, I have, you know, <laughs> and I told this com- to the community and Kosa knows so well, I have been feeling great waves of rage in my body, like just coming out of nowhere at the tiniest little experience of being dismissed, particularly they have been coming up. And you know, I want to say that the other side of being dismissed often leads to um, leads to dismissing. So I'm saying this really with a, a sense of of trying to hold both sides because I'm seeing the pain and harm of that dismissal. So for me personally, what has been coming up is um, how I have internalized a certain kind of dismissal of myself that I didn't realize. <laughs> that had to do has to do with um, my conditioning as a as a female as someone who identifies as female and who's been identified as female. I have um, reckon I've only come to recognize very recently how much I um, have felt dismissed because of um, because of my class my. Um, the communities I come from. And then I think perhaps maybe what has um, activated even more recently is I'm starting to feel the dismissal that is being transmitted around uh, being older, of aging, of being elder. So the, the, the thing that's so interesting to me is because there's also a... Um, a way in which that kind of system I've internalized. And when I internalize it, I'm now dismissing myself. And I'm also projecting dismissal on everybody else. So what happens, it gets reified, you know? And I can imagine even when there's no dismissal there, I'm reacting as if I'm getting dismissed. And the problem with that is one, Well, for me, I would say primarily one, it's a, it's a, it's a it's strangling, strangling who I am. It's really keeping me from um, releasing, you know, it's a karmic, karmic knot that I'm unwinding. And the other thing that I find really interesting is it keeps me from taking responsibility for the, the fact that if I overly identify with the one being dismissed, I'm not taking responsibility for how I dismiss. And I do dismiss in incredibly painful ways. And this is 
why I'm so grateful for the practice. I'm grateful for this, the Sangha. I'm grateful for the intimacy of being with people and getting and allowing to have my karma and in the silence, getting to feel that. And I think it's also, you know, I always like to talk about, you know, to me, when I think about conditioning, I, I have to think about it on two levels, I think, and they're not, not um, separate, they're together. Uh, but I think about it um, as we all do in this community, I think we, we, we are training ourselves if we haven't, or if that isn't our natural way to think culturally, communally, ancestrally, <laughs> intergenerationally. And, um, and connected to that is, uh, you know, I also think psychologically. And so where does this harm come from and how does this dismissal get generated or uh, what's the origins of it? You know, and then it made me think about, there is, um, uh, a, there is a different uh, attachment styles. This is a, a theory where there's, they're based on the response within your family, you can be securely attached, which means there's kind of a, a safety and a trust and you can kind of fluidly, you know, engage and disengage and connect and be independent. And then there's insecure attachment styles. And one of them is actually called dismissive attachment style, dismissive avoidant attachment style. So I, I just name that because if we're studying a particular uh, phenomenon, uh, a karmic phenomenon, it's kind of important and I think interesting to have like a lot of different lenses. So just briefly to say that, and I think this is how the intergenerational piece can, can happen is that perhaps because of uh, a parent or a caregiver's own historical um, pain, um, both, both culturally and individually and familial, that um, this dismissive attachment style comes out of um, a caregiver having difficulty expressing care and responding to emotional needs. So that there's kind of an active um, rejection of a, a child's bid for contact. There may be, these are kinds of the ways that dismissiveness gets creative, you know, that there is an unresponsiveness to a particular uh, request, or there's a hostility even for that particular arising. And it could result in, you know, uh, someone withdrawing, or there's a could be a sullenness on the part of the one, you know, being experiencing that dismissal. You know, um, again, I think there's something in, in my particular lineage, um, which this uh, belittling of emotions, you know, don't be a crybaby. You know? <laughs> we, we don't have time for this. You know, we have, we're trying to survive here, you know, toughen up. And then there's also could be a rejecting of physical contact or kind of, uh, so it's a lot of it is a restricted expression and a minimizing. Of a, of a particular need. And one of the interesting things that can result in people moving toward objects or other places for comfort rather than people. So engaging can be very fraught. And I say that because, you know, um, this stuff can show up as we begin to have relationships with each other and are in community together and in Sangha. So we can get so activated 
and then as we were talking about last night in the socially engaged Buddhism class, you know, we can also um, be dismissive of each other when we aren't sharing the same political views. You know, this threat of exile is really significant and it shows up in small ways. So, you know, one of the things that comes up for me is, you know, when I began to recognize how I, how I dismiss myself <laughs> and with all of these narratives that I've, I've, I've generated and reinforced, you know, what I'm trying to do is listen to these cries, you know, that there's a distress there around the dismissal, you know, so the medicine is really moving and making contact with, you know, how do I make contact with and contact in a particular way? So our whole, um, I feel as if um, Zen and the way we orchestrate and the practices that we cultivate are all designed to, um, to respond to or counteract a, a kind of a dismissal, you know? So, we, you know, we do this, you know, it, it's kind of, um, we can maybe not understand the power of this as a healing tool is practicing care and attention to everything, every single thing, you know, whether it's a roll of toilet paper or a spoon, you know, or a rakasu that we're training to, um, to, to turn attention towards and take care of and acknowledge and respect. So just to uh, name it, to feel a little bit. <laughs> I had to laugh because, you know, this, this dismissal in terms of class, you know, we were talking about this in a study group and what are the things that we kind of reject because they, they kind of speak to something we're trying to get away from. And so I have a whole bunch of, um, what do you call these? Um, bookmarks. And I never use this one. This is from my dad. And do you see it? It's like this purple flowery thing. It's like a Hallmark thing, you know? <laughs> it says, a daughter is sunshine that warms your world, beauty that touches your heart, love that grows more precious every year. And I'm laughing because, you know, I, I didn't want to be seen with this. You know, this is a dismissal of part of who I am and who my dad was. And because that care and that, you know, attention didn't come in the form of a kind of Zen poem, <laughs> do I just dismiss this as, as, and make fun of it? You know, it's like that. That's where, that's where it shows up. So in the Tenzo Kyokan, that um, the Tenzo chants every morning with her cooks. It says, clean the chopsticks, ladles, and all other utensils. Handle them with equal care and awareness, putting everything back where it naturally belongs. Keep your mind on your work and do not throw things around carelessly. When the Tenzo receives the food, she must never complain about its quality or quantity but always handle everything with the greatest care and attention. Nothing could be worse than to complain about too much or too little of something or of inferior quality. So as I say that, what arises in my mind 
and my heart, I'm, I'm kind of heartbroken about it, is just last week, I was um, really cranky. I was really irritable. I was very um, self-involved with my own pain and suffering, and I didn't have a lot of capacity. And I think this is when we can really dangerously dismiss others, when we're kind of um, navigating our own <laughs> lack of, lack of uh, spaciousness. And um, and I did. I dismissed the meal. I dismissed Kiko's meal right in front of her, right in front of the whole community, with with a few words. You know, um, Kiko kindly and very generously brought. You know, we discussed it, and she let me know. And I already knew. And there's the violence in it. You know, it's 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 okay. You know, I'm not going to shame, right? I'm not now dismissing myself and my own pain, but you know, to open up to that little dismissals, to open up to a whole world of of you know what arises is all the incredible care and attention Kika gives. I am fed like a queen every day. I treasure Kiku, but there it is. And now what I'm doing is trying not to dismiss my emotions. I have compassion for Kiku, I have compassion for me. I just have, there's, we have to have compassion and patience for these systems of harm that have come out of tremendous causes and conditions. So we move from dismissal to compassion. And then as we practice, we hopefully move from dismissal to discernment. So how do we um, challenge our belief systems, which does not mean that there isn't something to discern on the other side that's harmful or problematic but do we have to do it with dismissal? You know, we were talking last night, can we complicate our narratives, all of our narratives? Can we take responsibility for our responses? And this is no small thing. And then on the other side, the other kind of practice that's actually also extremely um, liberating. And again, it's not one or the other or one then the other, but it can arise. And I do think when we have a stability of practice, when we, you know, when we have some something to rest in and take refuge in other than our own um, pain or trauma or identities, you know is that we can actually see every situation as, a, as, a, as an opportunity for liberation, right? Which is not in opposition to taking responsibility. So, um, you know, I got to the point, not only where I had to realize how I 
I had to realize how I was dismissing, you know, what I needed to kind of own and metabolize. But also, um, you know, that my that the history say, I'll just use this as a woman, the history of um, misogyny that arises as a rage in a moment, you know, first I have to discern whether that's actually happening in the moment, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I, again, I, excuse me, I just, you know, you know, who are the objects of that sometimes the people closest to us? So, you know, Kosin could, could my beloved husband appears in a very neutral way. He says something and I am off and running, you know, <laughs> um, because it's, it, it kind of triggered something. So I have to take responsibility for that. And there's something that I also feel is so useful. What if I was being dismissed? I'm not saying he was dismissing me, but what if I was being dismissed by somebody, you know, that, you know, you have no value, you know, that um, we can act, it can help us wake up to actually an attachment to an identity. You know, if we take care of our dismissal and we get, we acknowledge it and we take responsibility for it and we take responsibility for the pain and harm we have caused others and peoples we have harmed and just acknowledge it. You know, the, dis, the, the healing of the dismissal is the acknowledgement and the acknowledgement and the listening and the taking it seriously, I think calms the whole system down. And if we do that enough, for me, I, if, I, if I acknowledge that enough, I, I return to something in which I can do that for others. And I don't even have to like take that rage that arises uh, personally anymore. And there can be actually a freedom there because that's empty, you know, in a way there's an emptiness there. I can't shortcut that and go straight to emptiness, but that's ultimately where there's space around it. You know, there's a capacity to return to connection that, that it offers. And I, and I feel as if to take that and acknowledge that is actually to feel as if we can begin to open up to all the things we've dismissed. You know, it's like um, we move to this, uh, I say from dismissal to wholeness, you know, we reclaim all the little things that we haven't claimed yet as ours. And I'm speaking about people, but as Dongshan would say, you can apply this. And if it's too charged with people, you can apply it to objects, you know, to my glasses, which I lose every 10 minutes. You know, this is, this is a, a we, we can start to decide to care for things that we have typically dismissed as unimportant. And then I think as we practice this, we widen that field. It's like a bodhisattva training. And as we sit zazen and we do rituals and ceremonies that uh, create opportunities for us to feel into things, I think our hearts open. When our hearts are open, I think we can't dismiss. It's harder to dismiss. I think I always tell stories of, you know, when I'm in Sashin or in that space, 
I start to notice tiny little insects, you know, <laughs> that are, that are, and maybe some people notice them more naturally than me, but you know, my conditioning, I'm, I, I'm too distracted and I've got too much going on. And maybe, you know, I have, I have, you know, more larger beings that, that need my attention, but you know, you can feel, I, I was saying to Greg, when I was in Vermont, you know, there was a, there was no other beings that little fly brought, I, I didn't dismiss its pain. So this is like the Bodhisattva training. And we do this vow, you know, um, to free all beings, but we can't free all beings if we're not in relationship with them. If we turned away. So I wanted to end with a um, beautiful piece by Zenju, my favorite book right now. It's just it's a teaching, any teaching that I want to find <laughs> support for, she has in here. And this really feels like this um, move, you know, from from um, dismissal to reverence, you know, so dependent co-arising begins to operate in our hearts and everything is us, you know, so we care for it. It's expressing its care all the time, its need for care. So this is from the chapter, Earth Dancing, Respecting Each Other. And I love the languaging, you know, devotion, adoration, reverence. These are all the medicine for dismissal. A commitment to dance with the earth requires devotion. That is, the earth requires adoration. I love how it speaks, how it breathes. I love its water and medicine. I love its poetry. I adore it. Have reverence for Mother Earth, Reverend Mother Earth. I am often called reverend. One can't call themselves a reverend. It must come from those who have an adoration, an adoration to what is revered. I remember a few hours after my ordination at a reception, folks sat around at a friend's house eating dessert and drinking tea. One person asked, what are we to call you now that you're ordained? I smiled, I had no idea. Then I told a story about being called venerable in Malaysia. I told them I was not ordained and still the nuns with whom I was staying called me venerable. Now you'll hear dismissal right here. A person seated near me looked into my eyes and said, I will never call you venerable. Her tone and the expression on her face stung. I raised my head and remained in silence. The room fell silent. I was not asking to be called venerable. I was expressing how the nuns respect each other and everyone else by calling each other venerable. 10 years later, I sat down near the door of a Japanese temple in Oakland. I'm wearing the black and brown robes of a Dharma teacher. As the Japanese members enter the temple, they bow to me with great reverence. Some ask if they can enter. I'm shocked because it's their temple. 
They built it and have been meditating there for many years. I'm a guest. As it continues, the bowing, the honoring, I sense their reverence is not about me. I suddenly understand the nuns calling me venerable years earlier. Their adoration is not for me, the person. As the Japanese members of Oakland in Oakland stand in front of me and bow, that realization goes deep. They are honoring the robe of liberation. They are honoring Buddha's life as expressed in the wearing of robes. The wearing of robes and ordination expand to the width of an open desert. They are honoring Buddha's life as expressed in the wearing of robes. This is so beautiful. Can we replace it with anything? They are honoring Buddha's life as expressed in the dirt on the floor. <laughs> you know, that, how is that you know, a, a part of life, Buddha's life? And then she ends, the earth is not required to speak to us, breathe for us, feed us in order to be loved. The earth does not have to prove itself. Until hearts are as wide open as the desert, are shamanic screams heard in unison. A love looking for nothing in return is reverence. We must not be afraid of offering high respect to each other, to all things I would say, as we are from the earth. We need not wear robes or do something considered remarkable to be seen and honored. To have been born and to live is enough. We are all venerable ones. The earth turns toward the dark. Mosquitoes feed on available flesh. Birds sing again. A night song for the earth dance. A windmill turns in the breeze. Cicadas shrill for the coming darkness. What has loosened from plants from the living floats to the ground, light or heavy into the fading light, a day has dissolved. Words unspoken remain stained on the tongue. Mourning, mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning and regret take up space. Dreams await the open hand to guide awakening while sleeping. May our intention equally penetrate every being and Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.